You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, my name is Octavio Fernandez y Mostajo. And my name is Claire Perini. And welcome to the Regent Podcast. Today we had a conversation with Jeff Greenman and Whitney Buckner around food and uh, the importance of food in the biblical narrative and then how that works itself out in our own eating and where things are broken and where things can be redeemed and how we might be a part of that. We talked about gluttony. We talked about fasting. We, talk, we talked about a lot of stuff. We, we try to pack so much stuff in the podcast. It's crazy. We actually did it, but it's just the, be- the beginning of a conversation mm-hmm. we should start having. We feel like we need to have a part two, but for now it's part one. Yes. Uh, so just so you've got a bit of a sense of who you're listening to, Jeff Greenman is the president of Regent College and he's a professor of theology and ethics. Uh, and he's, um, he's done a degree at Regent, degree at Oxford University, uh, and he's also then been kind of enro- involved in leadership in theological education in the US government in terms of um, education and juvenile justice as well as working in national politics and educational consulting. And he teaches this class called The Food, Co- the food Course. So that's why he, uh, we got him on to talk about this in particular. And then Whitney Buckner is a student at Regent. She's doing her MA in the arts concentration. And in particular, she's focusing on creation care. And she's mm. about to do her integrative project in the arts and theology. So today we were four and we had a conversation that was just awesome. We hope you enjoy it. Jeff and Whitney... Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Jeff, welcome back. Welcome back. Always good to be here. It's good to have you back. We have a lovely studio. I'm so glad to be here with you. (laughs) (laughs) Is it the boxes sort of stacked high to the ceiling that you like the most? Or is it the random pile of things in the corner that really appears? Pretty much the random piles of junk. Yes, it's it's all organized for a purpose. They all have a purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so as as you know, we're going to talk about the food course. So when I came to Regent, I read that there was a course about food, which was pretty odd for me. You know, graduate school, important school, talking about food. I was food for like a whole semester. Food? What are we talking about? Food? Like recipes? So I had no idea about it. So so then I started investigating and it turns out it's great. But I'm going to just ask the question, why a food course in a graduate school? That is an excellent question. A lot of people are surprised that we teach a food course and have for quite a few years. The professors here, Lauren and Mary Ruth Wilkinson, pioneered this course, I think because they had a sense that food had so much to do with everything, Mm -hmm. everything in our society, everything in our lives. Food is indispensable. It's necessary for human life. And yet, it's something that we don't think about very much. Mm-hmm. We don't pay a lot of attention to in some ways. And our culture teaches us really to take food for granted. Just grab and go and don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick and convenient and cheap is what we're interested in. Yeah. But yet, if you want to engage all of life Christianly and think about a more integrated way to live your faith, uh, including everyday, ordinary, mundane things like mm-hmm. food... Uh, It's a huge topic to wrestle with and think about Mm -hmm. with a lot of potential to inform our way of life as individuals and families and Mm -hmm. churches and communities. So it was just an enormously important topic, food, central to our life and culture and society Mm -hmm. and always has been. And yet often we don't talk about it very Mm -hmm. much. So shouldn't we talk about it? Shouldn't we think about it? Shouldn't we begin to unpack all of what's in uh, Mm involved with food. So that's where the logic kind of comes from. And I think a lot of people are surprised to know, oh, it's a graduate course? What is there? Well, there's a lot to study. There's a lot to know. And there's many different angles. It's a perfectly interdisciplinary course in the sense that we look at food from almost every imaginable angle in order to get a better grasp on something that's a very big and complicated and wonderful and rich um, dynamic. Yeah, the food course was why I came to Regent primarily. Um, I had been thinking about food a lot, uh, mostly because about, I don't know, 12 years ago, I found out that I was had a, a food allergy and mm. it severely limited or changed what I could eat. And I started um, also going to lots of farmer's markets. I'm a photographer, so I started kind of investing in the beauty of food and asking a lot of questions of where does my food come from. And I wasn't raised as a Christian and uh, I was raised in a kind of a a very environmentally conscious city in in the Mm -hmm. U.S. 
and um, at some point discovered that my faith and those environmental issues overlapped in a significant way. Um, and that was pre my knowledge of Regent. And then I discovered um, that Regent had a food course. That was the first thing I heard about Regent, actually. And so mm-hmm. when I started dreaming about seminaries and thinking maybe I would want to go study more about God's Word, uh, I thought, where was that place that had that course about food? And I sort of <laughs> looked back in my <laughs> archives and found the link to the Regent website, and there it was. Um, so it was mostly because this legacy of creation care that Regent has, thinking about food, thinking about these things theologically, uh, these things that were already deeply important to me um, and deeply important to such a huge portion of the population. And I found that there was a theological, um, a rich, rich theological need to be thinking about them. Yeah, because sometimes with, when I think or when people think about food, it's just just fuel. That's all it is. It's just yeah. matter that fuels us. Why? Why is there? Why should there be theology behind it? It's just. And then, sorry about the way, but then we defecate, and that's it. It's just the cycle of life of eating, letting it go, eating. So that's it. Just keeps us alive. That's all it is. But it's not. So that's why, why she asked the question. Let's unpack a little bit what the food course is about. Yeah, one of the things that might help to say, um, explain to people, kind of the food course is there's a subtitle. So the title of this course is food, and that just is very stark and deals with everything but the the subtitle is creation community and and uh sorry creation commune community and communion oh gotta get all my c's organized there uh creation in a sense because we wanted to connect the course up with the bigger themes of creation care and being creatures in god's world and living responsibly and thoughtfully in light of food with food in our food lives is a part of what it is to be a creature and to live in God's creation. So creation is a big part of what we talk about. And understanding, this is back to the biblical theme that we'll, we'll talk about, uh, understanding the place of food in this wider ecology of, of creation. Um, community is the second, the second word because food has always been central to the life of every community, whether it's a secular community or a religious community or a Christian community. And food is very central to the, the micro-community of Regent College, as you guys know as you're involved here, and soup on Tuesdays and lots of meals together with mm. faculty and so on. So community is revolves around food in so many ways. So that's a theme that we wanted to kind of explore. Hospitality is such a, a key biblical virtue and practice of the church. A lot of that has to do with reception of strangers into your home mm. to feed them. Uh, and then the other one is communion, uh, is, is the word. And partly the, the logic of our course begins to kind of unfold biblically all the way into thinking about the Lord's Supper, thinking about worship. And it's often not thought about very much that the central act of Christian worship is actually a ritual meal. Mm-hmm. You might not know that from the tiny little shard of yeah. uh, cracker that you might get, which hardly reminds you much of food, and this tiny little sip of grape juice or whatever it is. But actually, this is a ritual meal, right? A Passover meal in the Old Testament is a very significant part of it, and uh, of the sort of spiritual life of the people. And... Obviously, in New Testament terms, Jesus is instituting uh, a ritual meal for his followers in mm-hmm. remembrance of him, and it has been a central act of worship. And so it's just to unpack um, how that all fits, what the significance of all of that is, especially if you think about, oh, this is actually a meal. We're mm-hmm. sharing a meal. This is a fellowship meal. We're, we're, we're eating and drinking with one another in the presence of God. And that really helps, I think, deepen the experience of people. So creation, community, and communion are, are kind of themes, and so that might help unpack a little bit uh, and help mm-hmm. people to see what it is that we kind of begin to explore when we get into the course. So you, you started with creation, and so this idea that we're creatures, and that so and obviously in food comes from the ground, so there's an extent to which a big view of creation is important. Can you flesh that out even more about that the relationship between food and creation, and then perhaps kind of... Go, go deeper into this biblical theology of food and where we see God's people interacting with food and what that's like for the, how that expresses itself in the scriptures, maybe. Well, sure. Let me say a few things and then Whitney can chime in and, mm. and fill in some gaps along the way. But the place to start is with the early chapters of Genesis. So if you pay attention to what's going on in the first three chapters alone, there's an awful lot of discussion of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at it from the angle of food, food's all over the place. So... 
the goodness and um, vitality of creation is so clearly marked out by the indications of food that are there. There are trees that are for the feeding of creatures even before human creatures are coming along. There's trees with seeds. Very deliberately, I think the detail of seeds is there because that means that there's an ongoing life and there's an ongoing fruitfulness and a bearing of fruit to sustain the creation. This is not a one-off for uh, a day or two kind of creation. This is a an ongoing task. So trees are there and then the human task becomes well the human beings human beings are situated alongside the other creatures mm-hmm. and the most important thing that i guess you learn from the first chapter of genesis is we're creatures we're creatures mm-hmm. along with other creatures we're fellow creatures with lots of other kinds and and then the the complexifying of the story is well we are creatures but we have a special responsibility in this creation the caretaking and keeping of this this creation, which has been given as a gift, given with all of its possibilities of life and fertility, we have a special role in. And that role makes us into gardeners who have been put in God's garden. Mm -hmm. And um, the original, in a sense, kind of metaphor for uh, our life in the image of God is to be caretakers of creation, to be gardeners. And if you stop and think about that, it makes you, I think, um, reflect on how it is that we're living in this <laughs> this world. Mm-hmm. This is core to who human beings are, is caretakers of creation. And core to that caretaking of creation is what we're doing with food. What are we doing with animals? What are we doing with plants? What are we doing with fruits and vegetables and basic stuff? And when you come along to the, the, the uh, dramatic change of, of direction in Chapter 3 in the fall core to the idea of the fall is that we've rejected our creaturely status. We don't want to be creatures. Mm. We actually want to be like God. We want to do what God does and have a prerogative like God does. So we're rejecting our very creatureliness. And part of the judgment that comes um, uh, to us is that the way that we relate to the creation is distorted and broken. And that has to do with thorns and thistles that we now have to deal with and the pains and sufferings of childbirth and lots of other things too but it's it's uh it's a change of of the creation itself and our human relation to creation and there will be difficulty in exercising this role as the caretakers and keepers of of creation to bring forth all of the abundance Mm. and vitality that god has built into it you might say and so that is a big story of food right there and our relationship to food is all kind of packed into that it always intrigues me as well that the actual the act of disobedience is not just an they don't just do like they don't just climb a tree that they're not supposed to climb. <laughs> they eat something that right. they're not supposed to eat. Mm. So even in the act of this right. is all for you, you can eat anything. And then the one thing you can't do is eat from this. Like there's the actual very act of provision and then fallenness is somehow tied up mm. in this act of eating. Yeah. Which uh, is it's quite fascinating. No, it is fascinating. It is. So a couple of things there. One is the idea of us sort of snatching after and grabbing after this this apple. It's an illicit, uh, unlawful, uh, disorderly eating. And that indicates very deeply the sort of distortedness of our own souls and lives. And it continues um, generation after generation in our experience, doesn't it? But then if you think about what's happening in New Testament terms, what you have in Jesus is a a proper feeding, and it's not a snatching after, Mm -hmm. snatching after that apple, sort of, you you can think about it physically as reaching out to the tree and grabbing something that you shouldn't grab. It's it's more a, a posture of receiving, and with open hands, not snatching, but with open hands, something being put into your hands, not that you've snatched, but you've been given. Mm-hmm. And you think about the traditional postures of the Lord's Supper, it is God feeding us, mm-hmm. right? This is actually, we're the ones on the receiving end, we're not on the grabbing end of things. And there's something really profound about the Lord's Supper when you think about it as a kind of undoing of the sin yeah. of the fall of, of the tree. Um, and the wonderful thing, I guess, to say about the Lord's Supper then is it returns us to the whole theme of gift. The creation story is a story of gift, and it's a story of grace, and it's what we don't deserve. 
and it's what we're entrusted with. Mm -hmm. And likewise, if you start thinking on the other end of it in terms of Lord's Supper, it's also a gift. It's also something that we're given to receive and to benefit from and to be blessed by. Mm -hmm. It's not something that we've earned or deserved or could you know, kind of conjure up for ourselves. The other great thing in, in both of those um, sort of stories is, I mean, it's back to sort of ancient uh, Near Eastern thinking, which is most of those ancient myths, um, and they're still um, very much in circulation in a lot of ways, have the position of the human being as, as sort of the one who feeds the gods. Mm -hmm. And you'll yeah. find this in many world religions, you know, this is our job is to feed the gods. Well, there's never even the slightest hint of that in biblical terms. Uh, God feeds us, and this is what the creation story is so beautifully showing us. That God provides this creation for us to feed us. There's trees with seeds ongoingly so that we will be fed and we will live. And um, there's no thought that we ever feed uh, God, but that God feeds us. God comes into our presence uh, in grace. And, of course, the great thing in biblical terms is the man in the wilderness mm -hmm. is the perfect example of that, right? God feeds his people for 40 years unbelievable uh, probably got tired of the same diet over and over and over um, but God is the one who feeds God is the one who blesses God gives us food and ultimately is our food as Jesus says you know he's the bread of life rather than us somehow being the ones that need mm. to feed feed God so it's completely upside down and uh, still something for us to think about at a very basic level God feeds us we are dependent upon a gift um, and we're just meant to be stewards of the gift that we've been given. And it's this paradox of um, of gift and of abundance. It's also participation. It's also this um, invitation into the things that God's doing. That it's a um, He does invite us to keep and to care for creation. That He invites us to cultivate and to be part of what He's doing. But He is the ultimate redeemer and provider. That is the one who's making this. Um, creation flourish, who gifted it to, to us in the first place, and who invited us into the act of caring for it, which mm -hmm. in itself is a gift. The care for creation is a participatory gift. It is, it is a life-giving act that, God's, that he's invited us into. So it's this strange paradox that we see throughout all of scripture and that we get to see in our life now every day this invitation into um into participation in the things that god is doing and and the sweet gift of food i mean we didn't need taste buds we didn't <laughs> it's not necessary but we have them and food is beautiful it's gloriously beautiful so there's um but it's it's complicated and it's um it's woven into a web of many, many bigger questions. So there continues to be this paradox of we have abundance and we have gift and God is the ultimate provider. And yet we're called to participate in this act of his redeeming creation, his redeeming the world. So it's all throughout scripture and, and in our current lives. And one of the great things in that theme of gift that is there for us to explore is the response of gratitude. Uh, the act of faith is to receive that gift in trust and in obedience, but deeply with gratitude. And so if you think back to the way that um, these ritual meals work and the way the Lord's Supper um, always works, Jesus takes bread and gives thanks. And so similarly, mm. the whole posture that we have in a world of gift is the response really should be gratitude. Mm -hmm. And this is back to uh, your comments earlier, Octavio, which is people just sort of grab and go. They don't really mm -hmm. think about food. Uh, it's just very functional or it's fuel. Yeah. Well, if you just treat food as fuel, there's no way that you're really acting t with gratitude towards what you have received. Mm -hmm. um, again, it's not that you have received something. It's more that you've grabbed something, mm -hmm. right? Back, exactly. to our, back to this biblical imagery, you know, mm -hmm. grab and go. Uh, and gratitude, I mean, it's very profound. So slowing us down to say grace at meals. Sometimes you can just, again, automatically, almost mindlessly say grace at a meal in, in the Christian tradition. But really to stop and say, wow, I have been given an incredible gift. Look at this. Isn't this amazing? <laughs> Even though it comes up, you know, at least twice, three times a day. It just keeps coming up. But So it's easy to be kind of inured to that and, and forget. But gratitude is a deep calling of response, yeah. of faith to all of this gift. Because it's all gift. And how are we living with those gifts? And are we receiving them gratefully and stewarding them well? 
um, and partly the, the the whole dynamic of really paying attention to what we're doing yeah. and noticing what we're actually eating. And as Whitney says, you know, the world didn't have to taste good. Yeah. You know, God made the world taste good. It's amazing. Made us with taste buds, made, you know peaches to be incredibly delectable in the summer here in BC when we grow these marvelous peaches or whatever your favorite food is. God didn't have to make the world that way. So pay attention to what we're doing rather than just kind of running through life um, and be intentional about how we're living uh, in light of all of this dynamic that we're unpacking and live with gratitude. So those are kind of the spiritual themes that I think pay a lot of uh, become valuable to us in exploring this, this course. So this idea of food and how you live with food has a lot to do with our spiritual lives and not just with some sort of abstract theological uh, kind of nicety somewhere, yeah. right? So it's it's all very practical stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think this idea of gift is just mind-boggling, crazy, beautiful. Be- because people could say, like, what do you mean gift? I'm buying it. What do you mean it's a gift? It's like, I'm, I work, I pay for it. It's not a gift. I, I'm, I'm paying for it. But the question is like and you're buying it right but did you you, th- you didn't grow it i mean your money didn't didn't produce a cow your money didn't actually just produce tomatoes out of the ground they they're all a gift from from god and it's it's not cuz you're buying it that that is all of a sudden not a gift yeah no that's absolutely right and when you think about it uh you know could you raise a cow yeah. and you know no could you actually grow all these vegetables yeah. no could you yeah. find these fruits no um, it is, it's an incredible gift, but it, but we just take so much for granted. And the way that the contemporary kind of food system works, it's meant to put a lot of abundant food right in front of our noses yeah. at a very cheap price and make it super convenient. That's how the whole system works. But it also, in a sense, is rigged to deform us spiritually. Because yes. if it's all fast and cheap and convenient and, and a grab-and-go culture and we're all just sort of microwaving something and running... Uh, whatever happens to your really paying attention or being intentional or being grateful, those things tend to go out the window. Yes. The, the system pushes them out. So you have to have a kind of active defiance to say, no, that's not how I'm going to live in light of food in my life. That's yes. just not going to be. That's yes. not going to be it. We kind of feel we have the power. And I've, I've know, I know some people that really need to have control over something, especially when they're losing control of, of, of what's happening in their life. I don't know, sickness or, or somebody died or they got to move from the country and they feel like they have no control over anything. They, they go to food, which I can control what I, what I eat, how much I, I eat. And sometimes uh, it's all about just control. I, at least I'm in control of my food. I'm gonna I'm gonna get as much as I can mm-hmm. because this is the only thing I have control over. And 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 then then I wanna kind of talk about the part about gluttony. Mm. Now we have the power to eat as much as we can. We feel sad, we can eat. We can buy more. We feel happy, we'll eat. We whatever we feel, or we we, we don't want to feel. We sometimes we use food, right? We just shove it up with food and a lot of food. But but then uh, I haven't heard this been used in my tradition of evangelical churches like the word gluttony i've normally heard it in movies about you know the seven deadly sins and and <laughs> and used by uh, roman catholics and but in the in the evangelical church the word gluttony i never heard it so no, I, no. I think it wasn't a thing right it was just <laughs> just a thing in the past that they thought it was bad but it's actually not bad it's just just food like what what does eating a lot have to do with your spiritual life mm. Eating a lot is, has nothing to do with your relationship with God, but but let's let's talk about gluttony. What what's the issue? Is it an issue? Is it a sin? What is what is happening there? Well, it's Lent, so we should talk about the seven deadly sins, probably, isn't it? This is good for us. Um, well, yeah, no, gluttony has. I think you're right. It's been forgotten or overlooked, particularly in evangelical tradition. We don't sort of have a uh, kind of active discussion about the seven deadly sins, we'd probably like to forget about them. Probably the one that gets attention is lust. Uh, Evangelicals have been very keen on sexual ethics. But, uh, well, envy or uh, wrath or sloth, boy, these are good. Pride, how about Mm -hmm. that? But, no, gluttony has been very important to the spiritual reflection of the church over 2,000 years because... The instinct is to say that uh, our our tendencies of a, in a disordered, sinful, fallen world is to overindulge mm-hmm. and to lose self control, 
And food and drink are, are ways that we can express that very, very clearly. Um, so an excessive disordered desire for food or drink can be a very big problem. Mm-hmm. As much as food is a gift and it's to be celebrated, it's a good thing. We're embodied creatures. Our embodiment is a good thing. You can get carried away and you can lose sight of your priorities. And the tradition of fasting in the church, which is connected to this, I think, is really to say that, well, because we are meant to be desiring and yearning for God above all else, there could be times when our other natural God-given desire for food needs to be set aside or put in second place, postponed, in order to create room to actually pursue God and seek after God mm-hmm. and to sort of park the, those other natural desires for, for a while to kind of reorder our lives towards God first. I think that's, that's a big part of what's going on in the tradition of fasting. Deuteronomy, of course, says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth mm-hmm. of God. The idea is bread is important. It's the staple of life. But we actually don't need that as much as we need the Word of God in our life. We actually need God first, and God will provide for us. But it's to make space for God is part of this. And partly the the discussion around gluttony is to say that, well, if you've made too much room and given too much priority and importance to indulging in food and drink, then you really have squeezed room for God out of the whole equation. So how do we actually live as creatures in a deep sense of dependence upon God and faith and trust in God without getting carried away with some of our natural desires? So this is a kind of check and, uh, and break on it. Yeah, I also wonder if, in a modern sense, gluttony has really changed. I mean... I think gluttony in a in an ancient sense would look very different than in a modern um, obesity epidemic mm-hmm. sort of sense. Uh, and there's so many complexities to our modern challenges with potentially with gluttony. Um, and I think a, lo- a lot of them are potentially systemic. Um, that it's not only a personal gluttony, but it is a corporate mm-hmm. gluttony. That we're experiencing and that we're and that we're seeing the effects of in a deep way, and I think a lot of it is not understanding um, that we are creatures of need, of great, great need, and we're highly dependent upon a very um, a, a system that's quite fragile. And um, I think that uh, that, like was Jeff, Jeff was saying about how. Everything is in front of us. It's fast. It's easy. It's convenient. It's already, you know, fruit is already chopped up for us <laughs> in a little plastic container at the supermarket. Yeah. It'll save you 10 minutes. It'll have a little sticker on the yeah. on the carton or something. And, and they'll charge you a huge amount for the <laughs> privilege of cutting it up for you. Yes, yeah. exactly. But it's been shipped from who knows where in the world and who knows who grew it and who knows what kind of soil it came from and who knows who what kind of creatures pollinated it. We d- we're, all of that's taken away all of those complexities are uh, removed from us. And so basically what we end up having is this kind of endless smorgasbord of food mm-hmm. all around us all the time, whatever we want, whenever we want it, however cheap we want it. Yeah. And we want it cheaper and we want it faster. And those are the goals. And currently in our society, people have never spent less time and less money on food than anyone in history. So right now, the portion of people's income that they're spending on food is smaller than any time in history. It, so it's a, it's a massive shift, and yet <laughs> the the variety of food is outrageous. Yes. Outrageous on a daily basis. I mean, we live in Vancouver, so it's particularly a large spread in the city that's different if you're living in a smaller town. Um but even then, I mean, there's food trucked in from all over the place. So our expectations for food are totally tweaked. They're completely off in so many ways in terms of what is, um, what's honoring to the people around the world, what's a, what's a good use of different um, things like oil and um, all the things that it takes to ship food around the world and what's helpful for us in terms of understanding rhythms of creation in terms of eating seasonally, all those limitations seem to be thrown off and taken away. And so we've entered kind of a season, I think, of corporate greed, of corporate gluttony. Um, and that, that's, uh, that affects people on a, on a massive scale because it just, it 
causes us to think this is how things are. This is how things ought to be. This is, but it's actually in truth, this is not how things have been for all of history. And, um, and it's not sustainable either. It's not something that's, or redemptive, I should say. It's not something that's actually going to be redeeming the world. It's even if it would be sustainable, if we could keep it at this level, um, it's not something that's good or that's allowing creation to flourish. So yeah, there's, there's so many complexities on a personal level of gluttony, but um, I think there's a lot to be said about a corporate level as well. What, what Whitney's talking about at this corporate level and sort of social level is really important. And there's another um, element of the church's historic discussion of gluttony which plays into this, which is, I think, interesting, which is the church has always been thinking that one of the problems with gluttony is that your overindulgence is depriving a needy person, a hungry person, a poor person of food. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of issues of justice and ethics in what Whitney was just talking about, because we have cheap available food, so we say, but there's still lots and lots of people who are going hungry. There's still a lot, I mean, locally, as well as globally, there is, in, in moral terms, I think a basic human right to food and water, but a lot of people in the world do not have access to healthy, clean water or uh, safe foods, healthy foods that they can um, consume. And somehow our indulgence in uh, the wealthier parts of the world has something to do directly with the poverty and hunger of the rest mm-hmm. of the world. Uh, we sometimes don't want to think about that, but they're directly connected. It's all part of one global system in a way. And you got to think about the conditions that are created when we are, you know, flying in food from halfway around the world, like Whitney suggests. You know, I uh, I love my mangoes mm-hmm. here in Vancouver, but you know, Vancouver doesn't grow mangoes. Um, They've got to come a long way in an airplane to get here from Mexico or from the Philippines or wherever they're coming from, but an awfully long way to have my perhaps indulgent desire to have these lovely mangoes that I enjoy so much. But should I? Should I even eat those things? So some of this actually gets pretty personal, too, when you think about your responsibility within a bigger kind of global environment. Um, Because we are in a global environment. We are. I mean, now, at this point... We're connected with those people. We're connected Mm -hmm. with those farmers who grew those mangoes in Ecuador or in Australia or wherever they've come from. And, um, but we don't often take a moment to think about it and to, to either honor it as gift and say, wow, I have mangoes from Ecuador in January or something. Right. Or do we pause and say, do I need mangoes <laughs> in January? It's sort of, it's, it's both. It's this recognizing of, wow, I live in 2019 and this is an incredible gift that I can have whatever I want anytime I want. And let's, let's feast and let's mm-hmm. have, have these beautiful gifts. Yeah. And at the same time, where can I be thoughtful about the implications of these things? And, and I think thoughtfulness is a really important word that, we are thoughtful and we're mindful of these things. Mindful is a buzzword, but we're mindful that these things have come from a long distance or maybe we're mindful of um, maybe buying a mango is a sweet gift and it helps us to think, maybe I should look up where this came from Mm -hmm. and look up the economy that came out of and look up what kind of soil conditions and what kind of ecological situation this, this has come from and understand and be connected because I think on this corporate scale, we're systematically being disconnected from where our food is coming from. And that's a huge portion of the problem is that when we don't see it, we don't think about it. It's out of sight and out of mind. And those are people. Those are real people's hands. And that's real soil with real creatures and mm-hmm. water systems and um, and all kinds of complexities that uh, if we don't pay attention and we don't... Um, if we're not mindful and thoughtful of those things, then we could cause a lot of damage that we don't we don't intend to cause. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's it's important. It's a kind of an antidote, possibly, to recognize this gift and to be thoughtful about where those things are originating from. That's one of the assignments we have in this food course, is what we call a mindful meal. Now, mindful is a bit of a buzzword, but. What we're trying to talk about is paying attention and being intentional and being grateful, Mm -hmm. those ideas I was talking about, in the context of an actual meal that you with some of your classmates make 
and serve to some of your other classmates where this very process that Whitney's talking about, you really reflect on, well, what are we serving? Where does it come from? Who grew it? What's the history of this food? Is it responsible to actually serve this? Is this from local? Is this out of season? How much is this going to cost? Mm. Uh, and how are we going to do this all together so that we actually stop and really think about what we're doing and do something communally together and then offer that meal to some classmates as an act of hospitality mm. so that you can actually think about what you're, what you're doing. And it's probably the only class at Regent or maybe lots of other places where you have to, <laughs> have to cook a meal and host a meal and serve a meal and reflect upon a meal. That's, it's not a cooking class. Yeah. We don't grade people on your... Uh, <laughs> Although yeah. some people do cook for the first time some people do oh, cook really? for the yeah. first time it's yeah. great it's like boy i didn't worth know how to it. do that <laughs> yeah no it's, and it's really super fun to do and people discover all kinds of things uh-huh. and uh and it's a risk uh to make a meal for other people and have them come over it's like oh my gosh it's got to be good doesn't it but but it's not a cooking class it's not about a sort of elite taste it's it's about thoughtfulness it's yeah. about mindfulness it's about intentionality and it's kind of just an exercise of what we see well at least what we hope to see coming out the other side of the course mm. which is people who go into their communities into their families just more thoughtful about why are we doing this how are we doing this what is this meal about what is the place of hospitality in my life and in the life of our community and just a kind of practice run of that and they're super fun they're just super fun. You've you've mm-hmm. been a part of these. They're delicious. They're and delicious. <laughs> so we have some amazing food. It's just yeah. so fun. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's just what we have to do now. We we have to do our research of where the because I remember, especially in my country back in Bolivia, like 30, 50 years ago, everybody knew where the food was coming from. You didn't have to investigate because you, you know because there was a lot of street vendors for vegetables or for meat or for at least in my country, there's like an avenue full of street vendors, and you, you just have to ask her, "Where do you get your food?" And 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 a truck will come from I don't know from from I don't know three hour drive mile away in a truck or 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 you would know the farmer who gave you the the, the food, so you, you didn't have to investigate or you already knew everybody knew where the food was coming from but now uh i think it's just responsibility we have to i mean, we have google now so it's, google the company. <laughs> it's, it's not it's not it really is not that hard because you know the brands you like and the brands they're all everything's branded and and you can investigate where they get their food where they get the meat where they get so it is a little bit of a hustle but it's doable well, I would I would put a little caveat on that, which is that, that the industrial food system sometimes doesn't really want you to know exactly where all these things came from. So it sometimes takes quite a lot of digging to get through the layers. So I think it's very good to be mindful in the way you're uh-huh. you're talking about, but it isn't set up to be naturally easy to do that. You gotta put you gotta put work into it. Okay. And some of the conditions that various foods are grown in, um, one of my pet examples is bananas, right? The, the production of bananas, which are very cheap and available year-round to us, is at the enormous environmental cost of the kind of pesticides that are used heavily dependent upon pesticides. And the workers are often very much exploited at very low wage, mm. exposed to pesticides, at great risk to their own health and well-being. And so we have very cheap, available, year-round, wonderful bananas. They're all perfect. They're not even bruised and, you know, and all these the right things. Size. The right size. They're all perfectly sized. Yeah. Nothing's deformed or wiggly, you know. And, uh, and, and so if you actually try to push back, press back in that, yeah, you, you meet certain walls. Like, we don't want you to know anymore. Mm. The meat industry is also yeah. famously this way, right? They really don't want people to know what goes on in slaughterhouses because some pretty bad yeah, things yeah, yeah. can go on there. So that kind of intentionality, I applaud that, Octavio. Good for you. But mm, it takes real work. And again, it's back to are you willing to put the time and energy into really sort of thinking and you know, researching stuff like that? Not everybody will. Because yeah. fast, cheap, and easy is still what we're about. I think a good start is eating actual food, too, because there's so much processed food that Uh there's so many ingredients now that it's really tricky. Like if you're going to pick up a bag of Cheetos and try to figure out where all the ingredients (laughs) came from, it's it would be a ridiculous yeah. maybe a wild science goose lab chase, somewhere. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's this fabulous book which people, if you haven't read, it's it's Twinkie deconstructed, and a guy does this. He he just gets a bag of uh. Twinkies and starts reading all the ingredients, which are all these sort of chemicals that no one even knows what they are. And he wrote a whole book 
trying to figure out what are all those things. So yeah, it's it's an it's the perfect example of what of what what Whitney's mm-hmm. saying. So eating natural ingredients is a, a great place to start. And uh, this morning, getting dressed, I was listening to the radio. Uh, CBC was on, and there was an interview with someone who works for Health Canada about the new food guide. And the new food guide that has come out, you know, uh, the sort of symbolic plate divided up into how much you mm-hmm. should have of different things and so on. Sometimes that's been a pyramid and other, other things. Uh, this person was saying, uh, eat real food, eat healthy food, eat fruits, eat vegetables, eat whole grains, drink water, don't drink uh, uh, sugary soft drinks. Um, you know, just basic, basic stuff, the sort of mm-hmm. thing that your grandmother would have told you mm-hmm. probably, right? You know, real food, you know, natural ingredients, cooked, whole grains, water. Uh, and it's like, hmm, good place to start would be, you know, shopping for those things, like mm-hmm. Whitney's saying, right? Don't, not all those prepared, prepackaged yeah. things, but, you know, real stuff. So as people listen to this, they might think, you know, what is in your grocery basket when you go to the grocery store? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, these natural ingredients, so to speak, or is it all this sort of heavily processed right. food? And the dependence that we have in our culture in North America anyway on all this processed food is a big part of the, the obesity epidemic that Whitney mentioned, right? It's just highly processed, lots of added sugar, lots of added salt, all kinds of things that aren't bad for you. And uh, one of the best things that we can do to kind of offset that is have real food that you cook at home um, without all these other additives and extras and chemicals and sugars, which wind up really just being bad for us. Mm-hmm. That was where I was going to want us to sort of land is to, we've, we've got this beautiful vision of food's important. It's part of our participation in God's work in the world. And we need to eat. And yet the system is broken. And so how do we – and there, it, there can come a point of which I either then feel guilty mm-hmm. or I feel judgmental of someone else's eating or guilty about my own or, or like, oh, I don't even know where to start. And so that's what this – is, this is helpful. So you've sort of said eat real food. That's a great place to start. Other sort of ideas or thoughts about how do we start to engage this in a – this actually matters – in a real life way, in a way that I can do it. Try to be as practical as you, because yeah, it's all I don't know. I'm My practical thing—I'll like I'll start on that front and see what Whitney wants to add. Our practical thing would be uh, get your hands dirty. So one of the things we do in the food course is we take people out and we have them work and harvest stuff or dig stuff or plant stuff, and it's we're very disconnected in this whole system that that we're talking about. The whole goal of it seems to be to disconnect us from creation, to Mm -hmm. disconnect us from actually knowing where food comes from or even growing any of our own. So one of the biggest things that we can do is simply plant something. So you might think, oh, I live in a city, I've got a balcony. Well, if you have a balcony, you can have a little pot and you can, you know, have a tomato plant or you can Mm -hmm. plant plant a carrot. I mean, plant something. So that there's something you're tending, you're keeping, and, you know, they always taste better when they come from your garden. It's absolutely true, that carrot or that tomato or whatever it is that, that you've got. So even on a very small scale, symbolically, it connects us back to we actually are gardeners, we actually are dependent creatures, and we actually are connected to this world. And food is one of the, the most significant things that connects us to the creation. All of us, all the time, are are deeply connected and dependent upon that creation, for better or for worse. So if we could kind of redeem just a little patch of it in our own backyard or your own balcony or whatever it is, that's a place to start. And, and, you know, with with kids, it's just an incredible, wonderful adventure to see a little sprout starting to come up, and it's really great. It's like magic. You're like, how does this happen? It's amazing. It is magic. It is. It's total magic. It's so miraculous. It's incredible. And we tend to take it for granted. Oh, yeah, that's happening. It's like, oh, wow, that is Mm. awesome. Mm -hmm. So get your hands dirty. That's Mm. that's one of my tips. Mm. Whitney, what else else would you add? I'd say eat together. I think Mm. have meals. Yeah, eat. Invite people over to your house. Go to people's houses. Eat out. Eat together. Um, sit across the table from somebody and look them in the eye while you eat. Uh, set aside time to cook with people that you love. And um, yeah, don't don't be on your phone while you're eating. Like concentrate and think and be thoughtful about what you're eating. That mm. um, that it's good and that it's a gift and and be grateful. And um, yeah, I think commune commune with one another. Um, 
Yeah, that would be another practical. I, I love that. And the importance of family meals is one of the things we talk about in the food course as well. And a lot of folks you know, of our kind of student generation typically haven't grown up with that. I, I grew up with that, a sort of family meal, mom and dad and my brother and I, and just not hurried, not rushed, but pretty much everybody around the table having conversations. And I think there's something very fundamental to the identity of family, mm. being around a table together. And I think there's something very significant for our, for our culture and, and also for the formation of the church. People who, who in a sense, have, have grown up at meals around a table, looking at one another, like Whitney's saying, having conversation together, not just wolfing something down in a matter of minutes, um, are formed for relationship, formed mm-hmm. for community, formed for patience with one another mm-hmm. uh, in a way that our culture is depleted of in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Vancouver culture, we know that one of the sort of big social phenomenon is loneliness and isolation. Well, eating together is, is like the best antidote to that ever. Um, and eating, it around, eating, eating around a table, a family meal, uh, is the sort of first act of hospitality. It's hospitality to one another. And then from there, that circle can expand and more and more people can be, be included into it. And, you know, the, the pressures, again, our, our world is seemingly rigged against this because now most people are grab-and-go eaters rather than sit around a table and look at one another in the eye eaters. Mm -hmm. Lots of families don't have family meals because mom's going here, dad's going there, the kid's going to, you know, this lesson or sporting event or whatever. Everyone's sort of going. Everyone's eating in the car. They're eating in front of a screen. They're eating in front of a TV. It's just sort of grab-and-go. And so there's a deep sense of disconnectedness. And that that's just, that's a cultural phenomenon. There are other cultures around the world, maybe yours in Bolivia, Octavio, where the pace of life is not meant to be grab and go. I, I just think about the, uh, uh, the classic French culture, which is unhurried. You take time to eat meals. You eat real meals, like real food that has really been prepared. And it's not just your little grab, you know, a little sack of something on the fly. And um, yeah. North American culture is, is very much in a hurry. And partly what, I mean, part of, part of what's interesting to me about the gluttony question, to come back to that, is one of the ways the church has reflected upon gluttony, one of the things that, that, that is, a, is a sort of symptom of gluttony is eating too hastily. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's eating rudely. It's mm-hmm. eating before other people are ready. It's sort of grabbing your own on the go. And that, the church was, was against that. And you even see that in Paul's discussion about the Lord's Supper. You know, you're not, you're not showing proper deference and patience for one another. This isn't a grab-and-go event. We got a grab-and-go culture, so it makes me want to be French, I guess, and have a have a leisurely <laughs> two-hour meal with some wine or something uh, like that. There's sort of slow cheese, you know, lots of courses. You're not in a hurry. I just think that we're in a hurry, and and the, a hurried culture is going to be thoughtless about food, and uh, we need to slow down and family meals and be yeah. around a table and look at one another in the eye and eat eat some real food and take time and give it some priority without being indulgent, sort of self-indulgent about it. That's the sort of side of gluttony again, right? Which is, there's a kind of overly luxurious, self-indulgent, irresponsible way of eating that the church has also condemned. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about the responsible way of being grateful and appreciative and attentive to what actually is there and sharing that together. I have have two two things. Yes. And they both start with P, so it's... You're going to be a good evangelical so, preacher. So yeah. memorable. Uh, practice and packaging. Uh, practice. So we call them spiritual practices because we practice them, not because we're good at them. Uh, I think that we, we can practice things and feel that, um, that that is a really good thing and that God is inviting us into the spiritual practice of, of food and gratitude and all of these things um, that we don't have to sort of like transform our whole way of living overnight, mm-hmm. um, but that we get to practice participating in the things that God is doing in redeeming the world and caring for creation and being part of creation. And it's really not um, just only a certain people's calling in the church. Like this is a human vocation to care for creation and to be part of what God is doing in redeeming all of creation. So I think practice in, you can practice in very small ways, like maybe practicing Sabbath and thinking about rest and thinking about slowing down, thinking about God as provider. You could practice looking up 
um, different labels on food packages and seeing what's regulated, what's mm. not, what's just a buzzword, what's real, what's actually telling me something of substance. You could practice eating more vegetables and a, a bit less meat or maybe getting your meat from somewhere where you where you know it's been raised. You could practice these things. But I think in that practice word, there's a sense of, of um, hopefully less guilt, hopefully less... Mm. Uh, yeah, less shame that this is a practice. This is something that we're all broken in, but that we're all invited into practice. And then packaging is my other P, that um, a huge portion of uh, the excess waste that the world is sort of inundated by is from food packaging in the Western world because everything is put in plastic. <laughs> my husband and I were driving down the street yesterday, drove by a produce shop and I watched a woman who put a saran wrapped head of cauliflower inside of a plastic bag to carry it. <laughs> Maybe it was more convenient to carry. I'm not sure. But just being mindful of these things because um, food packaging is such a huge issue. So I think that's one way that we can, we can um, be participating in, in a, in goodness is being mindful of what our food comes in and maybe that means eating more actual food less processed food that means eating around the outside of the grocery store sometimes people say rather than going down the middle aisles maybe that means going to a produce shop or looking for a community shared agriculture program where your veggies come in a box uh, that can be reused that goes back to the farmer and gets filled up again every week um Maybe it's looking for, if you're in a city, looking for a no-waste grocery store uh, that is you bring your own containers and you fill them up again. Um, but I think the packaging side of food is is something that we can be really mindful of and a really um, pretty simple place to start, bringing your own grocery yeah. bags, um, maybe using paper bags to f- put your bulk produce in instead of plastic bags, buy oranges that are just free oranges rather than oranges already in a plastic container. Um, choose to spend 10 cents more. It's super worth it. Mm-hmm. It's totally worth it. It's part of, it's part, it can be part of a spiritual practice. Jeff, when is the next food course? <laughs> food course is offered in fall semester. My wife, Janet, and I are involved in teaching it along with Matt Humphrey, who's one of the staff for Russia, Canada, one of our partners. And we offer it on four weekends in the fall semester, really one in September, October, November, December, with lots of different experiences, a hands-on course with lots to learn and read and talk about and discuss, but also meals to make and share and getting our hands dirty together and engaging people face-to-face, in person, who are involved in different creative ways of responding to the issues of food in, in our world and in the urban environment of, of Vancouver. So it's a very integrative, fun, different experience fun, challenging course. So if you're interested, look into it and join us in the fall semester. Yeah, it's four weekends. Four you weekends. To, you can have a full-time job and still make it. Absolutely. Yeah, we got like lots of people who do field that. Trip. It's so like, lovely. Four field trips. <laughs> <laughs> it's so lovely. I feel like there's nothing more to say other than thanks. Yes. Thank <laughs> you for being here in the Region College Podcast. <laughs> a pleasure to be here on the podcast always. Yes. A gift. Oh, <laughs> it was a gift. I, we should have food here. And we are. We should. We should yeah, have. Yeah, we. Thanks for listening to the Regent College podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit regent.net. That's R G N T.net. <laughs>